Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another edition. Once again, that's right. No matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of us. Nope. We're back. Yep. With the special annual ITC preview edition of FNO InsureTech. How exciting. I mean, this is a annual thing. This is like five, six times. I mean, it's many. This is a big deal. This is a big podcast. This is the podcast that we come on and say, are you having a party at ITC? We need the invite. (laughs) That's right. This is when we shamelessly ask (laughs) to get into places where we don't belong, where we have not been invited to. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe it got lost in the mail. I'm just telling you now, you can invite us again if, Mm -hmm. if, you know, we are okay to be invited. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a this is a lesson in how do I force my way in, and we're pretty good at it. We've done it now for many years, and we're pretty good at weaseling our way into things, aren't we? We are. We uh-huh. are. Yeah. I mean, there, think yeah. of all the think of all the events at ITC that we've been a part of. I mean, there are some neat, neat things. There are some neat events that take place at ITC. ITC is more than just speaking, right? This is where companies come. They throw big parties. You get to see old friends. You know. Pretty cool stuff. Right. And we're going to talk today with the two founders, Jay Weintraub and Kerr Buhonig. How exciting. I mean, the two guys, the brain trust behind ITC, behind Insured Tech Connect, they're here today again. We'll hear the uh, intro story and uh, how it got started and uh, and roll down and talk about all kinds of things Insured Tech Connect. If you're going... You don't want to miss this episode. If you're not going, you don't want to miss this episode. Right. In fact, you just don't want to miss this episode. You don't. You don't you want don't. to miss it. And and at the end of the episode, towards the end, we get to talk about the current state of tech. A lot of people are, you know, hearing things on the news and, and funding and all that's going on. We get to dive in a little bit deeper into tech 1.0, 2.0, maybe even 3.0. So without further ado, here are winners of the FNO InsureTech podcast smoking jacket given to uh, guests who've returned so many times we can't even count. Caribou Honig and Jay Weintraub. Hey, everybody. We are here with um, two incredibly special guests of ours. If you are on our podcast five times, you get the FNO InsureTech smoking jacket. Yeah. These these are two guests who have gone way past the smoking jacket, right? I mean- Way, yeah, way past. Sorry, those are still on back order, by the way. They, they, I was going to ask, thank you. Supply chain issues. No, really, really they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are two of the uh, most generous, kind uh, gentlemen in our industry and in the InsureTech area of our industry. That's right. And, and that's Jay Weintraub and Caribou Honig, who once again have come to visit with us in advance of ITC, which is coming up in the not too distant future here within like a month. And yeah, um, welcome back, guys. Thank welcome, you guys. So much. Well, Rob, Lee, thanks so much for having us once again. And uh, I, I look forward to that smoking jacket. That's right. Me too. <laughs> We got you the medium. I hope that's okay. <laughs> that's that's terrific. I'll okay. uh, I'm, I'm working okay. on it, buddy. I'm working okay. on it. I've been going to the gym. And Jay, <laughs> Jay, welcome back. Where are you today, Jay? I am on the eastern end of Long Island today. Beautiful. Oh, Long Island. Yes, Beautiful. Yes. The last very weekend nice. of summer out here in the East Coast. Uh, very nice. What is the weather like out there today? I mean, today is one of those just beautiful, beautiful days. Probably high 70s, low 80s, low humidity, not a cloud in the sky, you know, very verdant. Perfect day. Are you in Montauk? I'm not. Although, speaking of locations, as I 
definitely changed the subject. It was water mill is actually the answer. But as I change the subject, speaking of locations, it's Caribou who is in a completely new location. We haven't talked about this. Okay. Where are you, Caribou? I am in sunny Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's the other part of the country from last time. You took the big leap. I took the big leap. You know, was in uh, Richmond, Virginia for 22 odd years. Became an empty nester about three weeks ago. Okay. uh, Packed up the SUV with a couple dogs and my wife. uh, Not in that order. And um, (laughs) we headed west and we're now relocated to Santa Fe. Why Santa Fe? What got you out there? Uh, See, that's that's a great question. My favorite answer there. We've been visiting this place for like 22 years, 23 years, uh, since shortly after we got married. And uh, it's just magical. It speaks to us. There's a, you know, you can see 10,000 shades of tan here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we always said, okay, how do we get out here? And, uh, you know, we had kids and there's some questions about how the, whether the schools were sort of up to snuff, uh, not that many jobs, and you know, quite frankly, a lot of old people. Well, now we're empty nesters, so it's not just not a question mark about the, the local schools. Um, I can work remotely, and we're old, so it really yeah. works out just great. Yeah, you've, quali- you've qualified basically. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, if there are any insure tech folks who uh, are in Santa Fe and and want to compare notes, I'm I'm happy to grab a cup of coffee. If not, you can found insure tech Santa Fe. That's right. That's true. Yes. I, That's true. I bet that franchise is available. <laughs> I'll, I'll check the URL, uh, the domain. Right. Uh, you know, First thing you do, let's go to GoDaddy.com. Uh, see what's do you available. happen to know Julie Rochford, who used yeah, to be? Yeah, that's who it was. I we, do not. We, we should connect one of the most interesting, fascinating insurance people. Yes, uh, she was an amazing she, reti- she retired to, uh, there she's uh, been on our podcast and uh, the ran the insurance, I, I'm going to get the name wrong, the Insurance Institute for building safety they have the big wind farm you ever heard of this anyway it's a giant we'll building. podcast <laughs> um but enough of this jibber jabber let's talk about um you guys what you're up to what's going on and let's just start by taking a walk backwards on memory lane or a walk down memory lane and talk about 2015 for a minute so I'll jump in here. I'm a, I'm a little hyped on caffeine today. So we, we've been, so we sort of talked this one through a few times. I don't want to belabor it, but but I'll still belabor it. So uh, Jay, you want to yeah. jump right in there? No, I mean, I'll belabor it. So uh, don't worry. Like if, if, <laughs> okay. if they haven't had enough, the great listeners haven't had enough, I will jump in and belabor it. So, okay. but no, <laughs> absolutely. So you should start. 2015, I'm a partner at a VC fund that I co-founded, QED, um, starting to focus on InsureTech. Smells like something interesting is about to happen in the category. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jay is a successful event entrepreneur trying to figure out his next thing, his next event to create. Um, I need an InsureTech event to go to, right? Meet the other investors, the entrepreneurs, the innovation execs. Uh, Fortunately, I get connected to Jay. Um, and I'm like, I've got this harebrained idea, Jay. I want a insure tech event that I want to go to. Like, but it doesn't exist yet. Will, will you like create this for me, please? And he, he was like, Well, I've already got an insure tech event uh, or an insurance event I have in mind to create. Um, and I'm like, Darn, well, maybe I can convince you that you like my idea better. <laughs> and um, I think, much to his surprise, uh, he listened to what I what I needed, and said, "Hmm, all right, maybe maybe that's sort of going to be interesting." And uh, then, then the beauty of this, uh, I, I'm actually smart but really lazy. Okay, and I, I've gotten very good at riding on the coattails of other people who do actual work, doers. Yeah, yeah, and so it's funny. People I've discovered. People typically think that I, you know, created ITC and they're wrong. I played a role. I had a nice little spark that helped it. Right. And, uh, Jay actually is the, you know, really the creator of ITC. Uh, but I am really the figurehead. (laughs) And so, you know, people sort of associate this, this, this lovely, you know, face of mine with a fedora. Well, let's face it. Caribou's a much more, uh, much easier name to remember than Jay. <laughs> true, true. So anyway, so, so that, that's 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 where where it started from. 
right? Is is basically I needed it. Jay was looking to create something great, and uh, serendipity brought us together. Anything to belabor there, Jay? Oh man, you know sometimes you do such a good job where I just have to say. Oh, that pretty much covers it. And then I still find a way to add on something. But I will say that, you know, obviously Caribou becoming the, the, the face of the event was very genius. But he says this all the time. Like, oh, I'm smart, but lazy. And, and like, I don't buy it. I, I think it's a good way to disarm, uh, to disarm people because I, you've never seen this guy be, uh, be lazy. Because usually when someone says lazy, you, you, you think of them as less smart and you respect them less. So. I don't know. I enjoy I get a good smile when he says that, but I don't buy it. Not buying that one. You meet Caribou. He comes to you with this name uh, or with this, uh, this <laughs> with an idea. This idea. But also with a name. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a, that, there's, a, there's a slip right there. What did you think? What was your immediate thought? This is great. What the hell is this? What, what, would you, what went through your mind? Well, well most people you know, that, that uh, work with me, especially on my team, would probably just tell you how surprised they are that I ultimately went with Caribou's idea. Because the best description I've heard of me from my team is basically, uh, you know, you're immensely difficult, but not impossible. Uh, and so, you know, given that I have a reputation for being just immensely difficult, uh, it generally means I may take a while to go over to somebody else's idea. And I won't lie, it was a little bit hard, you know, like, uh, you know, to do it. But I have to say that uh, caribou is anything if not uh, convincing. And uh, yeah, I mean, in true seriousness, right, there's certain things that happen in one's life and you look at it and you go, boy, how happy am I for so many levels? And this is, you know, this is one of them, that whatever the forces that brought Caribou and I together, the fact that it ended up, you know, we found a way to work together, how ITC, you know, sort of has been going, truly one of the best things that's ever happened. So... Did it surprise you the way it took off? Yes, yes, it it certainly did. It certainly did. I can, you know, I think Caribou and I approach things, fortunately, a little bit differently. I'm pretty much just an anxious stress ball, and so I could have told you all the things that were going on at any moment. And it's like looking at a ship and saying any one of these rivets could come out, and and I'd be worried about sinking the ship. And Caribou, on the other hand, is sort of like, but look how far we've sailed, and do you see where we are? And uh, you know, and and so it's great. And I, I just think you remember after the first year, we're at the after party, and this is before you know we had big name talent, and yeah. uh, it was like you realize, like this is what winning feels like. And it wasn't until that moment where I stopped and said, oh, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe this is something that is going to be like memorable and enduring and. Uh, so it is amazing to, to have all these years to then now look back. Mm -hmm. And Caribou, was this experience similar for you? It was actually transformative for me. Uh, and, and I say that because, uh, you know, I spent a decade as an operator. I right? worked at Capital One, a variety of roles, you know, my, what I call my first and only real job before doing VC. And, um, you know, doing ITC and getting back into a sort of operator's mindset, right? Now, again, luckily not actually having to do most of the work, right? Because Jay and his team would do the, the great deal of the work. But, you know, the, Jay and I will still reminisce about when uh, we, we would each get an email every time that someone registered right, for ITC. Yeah, there was an old commercial a couple of years back around like a couple guys looking at their, they light up their e-commerce site and, oh, and yeah. they start getting the, 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 the sort of clicks and clicks and then bought purchases and like, oh, and we would get the same dopamine hit, right? Whenever that someone, we saw a registration and uh, we actually got like, oh, we were so, so upset, you know, if we didn't get a bunch of registrations one day when we were expecting it. Um, but but the, the experience of actually helping to bring something out of the ground um, uh, was just you know, so personally rewarding. And yeah. then, uh, you know, and I get to play a supporting role as a venture capital guy, helping, you know, give hopefully good counsel to entrepreneurs. But there's something different from like, okay, we, we had an idea, we agreed to like, okay, let's make this happen. And then it actually happens. The other thing, you know, uh, maybe a little corny, but like from a a sort of personal satisfaction level, I still go to the very first ITC and like took a hundred paces back 
uh, during the lunch hour and saw a thousand people talking to each other. And like, yeah. And this is actually moving the industry forward. So um, I, I could not really get enough of that, which is, I suppose, why I kept uh, uh, hanging on to Jay's coattails as he keeps lighting up new conference after conference after conference. Because I, I still get a little bit of that dopamine when I, yeah. when I get to play my tiny role and support him and, and then get that email saying, oh, bing, another, another pay mm-hmm. reg. That's great. <laughs> Was there a year that just accelerated the conference to where it is today or did it just you know gradually happen or was there like an event one year where you're like this is the pivotal year that was the change and if so what what caused it to grow to the size that it is today jay i can answer your question by saying the year that scared the crap out of me on multiple levels that i thought might sink our ship and that was the second year you know it was the year of you know it was the year of the immense tragedy that had happened in Vegas prior to us, oh you know, sort of. Like, I was there that yeah. year. I remember and that. that you know, and so I, I would say that yeah, that that was. I mean, right? It's awful. It's scary. It's tragic. Uh, and and I remember after you know after that year, I remember getting this like scathing email from someone that said like your show sucked. And I remember thinking, oh no, we've you know look at all this time and an effort that we've put into something. Is, is it not going to like continue? And that's the the, the stressful part about our, our business is you basically get three days a year that you get all of your data points happening three days a year and you spend the whole year getting to it. You know, right. And as that, you learn, yeah. some things are in your control and some, some things are not. And I think year three though, I mean, for me, year three was, you know, probably the magic year because that's the year where, you know, there's a certain, a certain, I don't know, strangeness that happens when a show gets to a certain size. It starts mm-hmm. to become, and Caribou is the one I think pointed this out, it becomes, the bigger it gets, it can become more intimate because all of a sudden it can support more communities coming together. And, you know, and at the same time, it's like roots and it's having lots of roots being planted. And, and yeah. that to me was 2018. You really could just, you could feel what was happening. It was where you, you looked around at the people, the expo hall, and you said, oh, I get it now. Like If I want to see and understand this movement called InsurTech, this is where I see it and understand it. Uh, and right. so I'd say that for me was was probably one of the more uh, you know, transformational years. Yeah, I think Jay's making a really interesting point that goes beyond, you know, certainly ITC goes beyond events, arguably, right? So the distinction between, you know, the product and being a platform. Mm-hmm. And ITC, I like to think, has always been a great product, right? The, the speakers, the food, the venue, right? How we bring people together and so on. But it was probably around 2018 that it started to feel much more like a platform. Yeah. Because we started to hear about how other people were organizing their sort of activities, their mini events, right? A dinner, uh, uh, drinks, a uh, golf thing, right? on top of ITC and not necessarily needing to coordinate it directly, not as a sponsorship necessarily, just like, yeah, as long as we know that we're going to have all these people that we want to talk to at ITC, let's go ahead and organize this right on this day, this moment for these people. And, you know, which then begged like an interesting uh, business management question for the ITC team, right? Do you, how do you deal with that? Right. Is that actually eating your sponsorship dollars? Right. Like that, that right, would be right. the traditional event sort of antagonism towards that actually would be, no, no, if you're going to be building on top of our event, you've got to, you know, pay us, you know, our, our, our tax, right. For, as a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I actually, again, back to the, the ethos of Jay and his team, right. The view was no, no, you know, by when, when some third party creates a dinner or mini event or even some sort of like little event outside of the venue itself for ITC attendees, it actually makes the event a better product. It makes it more valuable for everyone else. And at the end of the day, it's not about the nickels and dimes of, okay, well, maybe we could extract a little bit of sponsorship dollars from these folks. It's about, okay, focus on how do we make this great for everyone attending Right. And if that means being perfectly happy with letting some some third parties build, you know, on top of ITC, then great because that as long as that makes it better for the attendees. And I think again that that sort of it's a a particular kind of mindset that an event 
real success for an event is not that it's a great product, but that it's a great platform. I love that. I think that is so true. And I can see those years when it was an event, you went to ITC, you know, you went to the product and then all of a sudden you're now at the platform and there's all these other events that you can go to and it's everyone's building upon it. And you've actually gotten to the point where, uh, where you don't really ask people if they're going, but you say that, Hey, at ITC, why don't we meet? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. It's one of the few conferences where you just assume everyone's going. And I, I think you're right. I, I love that about the uh, platform. I have to ask you about 2020 because in my thinking, that had to be, and as somebody who's also nervous and stressed out all the time, like you, Mr. Weintraub, 2020 <laughs> must have been a, a year you'll never forget. Obviously, it's a year that no one will forget who's, you know, old enough to have a memory. Um, but, but for you guys, you're cruising along you're, you you've come off 2019, which was an enormous year, right? Record breaking. And the world stopped. I mean, talk about things that are out of your control entirely. H how did you digest that? And what did your strategy become at that point in time? Let's see. Denial then anger, <laughs> then acceptance, right? I think that's the five stages of COVID. But actually, the moving past denial, right, was actually important, right? Um, especially when something like that happens that, you know, you really, it, it almost strains credibility, right, until it's actually happening, right? It's, it's like at my kids' uh, high school, like, okay, they're going to be off for two weeks, Right. Fine. Then, then they're going to be off for another two weeks because, you know, that second week is, is their spring break. So it's, you know, buys us a little bit of time. Right. And then we're, we're thinking, OK, well, at least they'll be back after spring break. Right? And then after spring break, it's like, OK, they're at we're actually closing down through the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. How is this possible? Where is get me a bucket of wine? Like, but then, you know, but at least the next school year they'll be in school. Right. And then the end of summer rolls around and like, no, uh, yeah. And, you know, so I'm sure many other parents experienced that same kind of rolling denial right? until right. it finally became acceptance. And then like, all right, what are we doing? Here? And with a little hint of anger in there. Um, I, I think it's sort of really is kind of similar, right? That And, and part, of, part of being a good you know, business leader like Jay is that you've got to recognize it early enough and recognize, okay, here's the, here's an inflection point where, at this time, we're going to have to make a decision and uh, figure out what we're going to do about it and, and not be in that denial stage, uh, but move really fast into the acceptance and exploration. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 2020 sucked, right? I mean, it, it certainly did. And, and I'll say that I think it also shows the benefit of, you know, the, the humanity of it all. And it shows why it's important to have, you know, like great people around you. Like there are certainly decisions that we I'd like to think that we would have made, hopefully, similar decisions. I know there are certain decisions that we made sooner and faster because Caribou was in our lives, as an example. And that's true. It's true. Uh, you know. And so I think about the, uh, you know, so that's like one piece is how do you think through the decisions that you have to make and how do you say, okay, we really may not be able to do this. I think from a, what, what worried us, you know, the, the most besides just, wow, we're shut down is like, is technology going to disrupt the people business? You know, I had spent 15 years as an event entrepreneur. Is all of a sudden like technology going to replace the skill set that I had been trying to hone as, a, as like a craft and, and, you know, render this time almost useless? So one of the things that I think was so ultimately rewarding is realizing that, you know, like almost any industry, technology is an enabler, but it is not a replacement yet. And right. so getting a chance to hear and realize that human nature is human nature, that the getting together, you just can't replace it in the, the same way was one of the most ultimately rewarding things because that meant, I think we all want to know about, like, think about startups, runway, optionality. You just want to know that, that there is a future. And so the fact that the insurance and insure tech industry, you know, ultimately, you know, quickly rebounded it in so great that people are people, you know, then at least for us, the challenge was, well, what can we do to innovate? What can we do not just to keep busy, but to feel like we're challenging ourselves? 
What can we do so that when the time is right to get back together, we can all make, you know, sort of like the most of it. So I'm glad that we can, you know, you know, in, in joking seriousness, say how bad the, how bad it was, but also look back on it with a number of positives that, uh, you know, that came out of it. Give us an example of a positive. There are certain things that we as a, as an event business never really think a lot about. turns out on our team, we have like a, we have someone who's won and, and she never talks about it. And she's won, I think, been a part of six Emmys. But yet we did nothing wow. with video. We recorded video at our show. You know, we have an amazing technologist on our staff. And yet, so now we have nothing but a chance to lean into tech and lean into video. And I think about some of these things that we get to try, whether it's building our entire virtual event platform, whether it's, you know, sort of, you know, think of many tests on the video side that we wouldn't have done otherwise, you know, without being forced to. COVID was lousy and bad, obviously, on many dimensions. It's also a catalyst for change in a lot of ways, right? And some of those changes will be, I think, net positive changes. Um, you know, I actually wrote a little article once about COVID as a platform shift, like from a compute, it's almost like a computing platform shift going from like the mainframe, to the mini computer, to the PC, to the smartphone, right? Each time you have that computing platform shift, you've got this sort of some legacy ways of doing business become obsolete, right? And entire new like continents arise out of the ocean of opportunities. And COVID, obviously not a computing platform shift, but it has all the hallmarks still being a platform shift. Right. And so just like uh, the notion of distributed workforce, right? I, I don't want to call it remote work or hybrid work or whatever, just like a distributed workforce. Right? Uh, clearly, there are some situations now where there was inertia against it and it turns out to be fine. Right? It doesn't mean that everyone should work distributed and remote, but it means that some of the inertial barriers to it, COVID actually broke down those inertial barriers. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, there's other things where like, okay, you know, in the event business, it turns out that meeting in person, right? COVID doesn't actually change the value of that. Uh, actually, where it almost does, this will sound a little bit uh, odd maybe, but to the extent that people are marginally reluctant to travel because of COVID, mm -hmm. if they're completely averse to travel, fine, they're not going to a conference, nor are they going to go see some client, right? Or right. some partner or some VC or some entrepreneur. But if they're mildly averse and they're trying to pull back the amount of travel they do, you don't jump on 20 airplanes to go see 20 people in 20 different cities if you're a little nervous about COVID. Right. You go jump on one airplane, go to one conference, see those and same see people, and deal with it once. You know, I, so I think there's actually these sort of almost odd tailwinds that yeah. COVID creates now, not two years ago, not a year ago, for the in-person event side of things. I had an experience just the other day where I was scheduling a meeting that for years and years and years, I would have typically gotten on a plane and gone to I, without question. What day is good for you? We'll be there. We'll have lunch, et cetera. And when I reached out to the other party, they just immediately said to me, um, send me a video invite and we'll, you know, sure this day at this time. And so COVID, Without question, and it, I think that it'll become clearer and clearer as time goes by, the the major impacts that have. But I do agree with you that that helps the conference yeah. business. That there's people that that I'll see at ITC that I won't see the rest of the year, but pre COVID I would have. You put on something I think is very important. You know, a classic event, you know, sort of like company, their way of thinking. If you think about yourself as an event company. Their approach is, all right, we need to be more digital. And, you know, when, when I think about COVID, and, and I think Caribou agrees, I say I, in this case, do not uh, lump him under in case he vehemently actually disagrees, it is that, no, no, we have to be not more digital. We have to be better. Because to sort of Caribou's point, I think the bar for going somewhere raises, the bar for going to a show raises. And so I feel like the onus is on us that now more than ever, our competition is someone's time of not being there. So I look at our job as how do we deliver value on your time? And, and that's what we try to hold ourselves to. It's not any classic show you know, uh, metric. 
But, you know, from, from an event planning, event organizing perspective, you know, it was really hard in 2020 and early 21 wasn't sort of navigating ITC. It was navigating that there were two events that were going to be launching in tw- at the end of 2020. Right. Uh, and so, you know, ITC had plenty of momentum. Like we, we knew that if we didn't do stupid stuff, right, when people were ready to come back in person, ITC would be there and they'd be, they'd be coming to it. Right? Mm-hmm. But trying to launch a new event, right, into the, the headwind there initially, like, okay, and back to the, you know, denial and then, ex- then anger and then exploration, like, okay, fine, we're not going to have those events. We're not going to launch those events in October, November, 2020. That ain't happening. But even then, like looking, okay, well, when can you launch it, right? When is COVID, you know, in, in the background enough and, and under control enough that it is appropriate to actually have your inaugural, inaugural event and, you know, still fighting against the headwinds of people's sort of appropriate reluctance and concern around that. Like, that's actually really tough, right? Back to the, I love getting things, you know, there, there used to be a, a green field and now there's something we're building there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. There's the, the downside of that is, you know, gee, it's a green field. And for another yeah. year, it's just going to sit as a green field. Gra- that grass is growing. <laughs> and so tell me this, you know, Jay, is it more important now to have more conferences? Like, are people open to the idea of going to more conferences and less to, you know, customers' offices? I mean, is that is that something as a as an entrepreneur in the event field? I mean, is that something you're looking at? You know, I'm trying to figure out how to best answer that because I think I think it still comes down to that yes, people are very interested in going to conferences. They see the value of conferences, but they're not interested in going to lots of conferences. So I think okay. if anything, people are just being more selective and saying, oh, in the past, I might have gone to 10, 15, but today I'm going to go to one or two. And so I feel like now more than ever, you, you just have to be that one or two. And I do care, but really enjoy the way you say that, which is, you know, it's one thing to be in a position where you, if you don't do anything stupid, it will continue to do well, you know, and it's a, it's another when it's, you know, like, yeah, it's a nice position to be in. You know, I, I would like to talk about the state of, of insure tech and, and Caribou, I'll, I'll go to you this year. We're looking at, at insure tech a little bit different, right? Markets are have kind of dried up. There's not as much money out. There's not not as much capital. I feel like in the years past, uh, everyone came, they pitched their ideas, and there's capital to invest. I think this year we're looking a little different. What is your thought on that? And do 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 you think that'll have any impact on the way that insured tech business goes about? Well, we got, we got about three hours, so that should be about enough time for me to That's right. show you all my That's thoughts right. on that. Great. So, so look, there is still capital available. Right. There's still venture capital, um, maybe not public market capital right now. I'll, I'll grant you that. Right, IPO window is not particularly good. I, I think that the VCs have become much more discriminating, much more rigorous, and I think it's quite frankly healthy. Um, uh, I think that the you know we, we were uh, we were all drinking, maybe not all, but many of us were drinking a little bit too much of the Kool Aid uh, around uh, you know how far uh, up is the sky. I think that the, um, but I actually consider it very healthy uh, for the venture capital industry and for entrepreneurs and for insure tech as well. That it's it's back to answering really just a handful of questions. Right, tell me about your growth. If it's you know below two x, hmm, that's not really that interesting. If you're talking three x or higher year over year growth, that's great. Right, still interested in writing a check. Tell me about your gross margins. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one for some of the the first wave there. Yeah. Um, right, unit economics, combined ratio, you know, all variations on the same same fundamental economic theme. And, and you know, look, I think that there was I, I saw this in the fintech world in you know 2010 2013 time window. I think we're seeing uh, something similar right now for insuretech, uh, which is don't mistake scalability for sustainability. Mm. Um, You know, for a while, VCs like to reward the the growth, regardless of if it was quality growth. And and in risk businesses, right, lending, insurance, right, those are the the particular businesses where 
you know, it's easy to fool yourself thinking that you've got a great business because it's scaling so well when you're offering to provide people, you know, a dollar at a, at the low, low price of just charging them 90 cents. Yeah. Um, shows up in different ways for lending and insurance, but it's the same basic concept. And so I think that you're, you're having a, a, uh, an appropriate return to fundamentals on that. And then you get to, oh, you got great gross margins, great unit economics, appropriate combined ratio. Great. Now let's talk about how big is big, how defensible is it, things like that. But I, I, I actually think we're about to enter uh, an insure tech 2.0 wave. Yeah. Which will look a little different than the first one. I think a lot of the startups, the, the sort of insured facing startups will uh, be looking at, okay, how do I have good unit economics from the start with an eye towards how do they become great unit economics in the long term? Uh, but they've got to have good unit ec economics early on. And one of the ways I see companies, the startups uh, going that path is actually a lot more, I'm going to uh, pursue a niche rather than everything. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to pick on lemonade, but like they are the everything insure tech company. Like, Every product, right? PNC, right. You know, and life, and so on. And multiple, multiple pet, and multiple, multiple geographies, right? right? So, like, they're really, really, really expansive in their not just long term aspirations, but their immediate aspirations too, right? It's tougher, I would argue, to get that unit economics when it's really, really broad like that. I, I'm I'm largely involved in a jewelry insurance company and a uh, as a startup uh, and a another company that's focused on mom and pop truckers and commercial insurance for them. Oh like, wow! These are you know niches now in insurance. You know even a niche right it can be a pretty decent sized business, but but you know th their aspiration can't be I want two percent market share. Right? You know lemonade. They get two percent market share in their in their TAM, like that's a big big business. <laughs> um, if you're going after jewelry insurance, right, and not as a cross sell, but like that's your business, you can't have an aspiration of two percent market share. You got to be saying, I'm going to be so great at this that first that I'm going to win, and I'm going to get like twenty percent market share. Right? Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you should have a really good business, and then you get permission to expand either adjacent products to the same segment or, you know, other insurance products to adjacent segments, but start by just kicking ass in that segment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an independent director on kin in the homeowner space. Right. And I might argue that they you know, start with a niche, right? That niche is oddly named Florida, right? <laughs> like that, that's their primary market as of today. Doesn't mean that's where they end. Certainly. But it is, you know, a very different strategy to say, I'm going to be primarily starting with Florida right, and getting really, really good at what might be a tough market, right, to be great at. You, you, or I, I'd say you have to be great, right, to succeed there. You've got to be great at Florida. But that's very different from trying to be, I'm going to be in 40 states within my first two years, right? Different strategy, right? And right. I think that certainly in a world where sustainability of the business and the unit economics are being rewarded and even required, a niche strategy, a niche entry point might be the right sort of hallmark of, of InsureTech 2.0. So talk for a second, because you, you you mentioned now 2.0 twice. Oh, no, that wasn't talk three for, hours. Just, here, just so. give us a def, <laughs> definition of 1.0 versus 2.0. So I'll, I'll start by saying there's probably a bunch of entrepreneurs, right, who would complain, right, that, you know, I'm sort of putting them into InsureTech 0.0 or 0.1, right? The guide wires and the duck creeks and, you know, folks who were building real businesses, technology, right? Actual is core to what they were doing, but it wasn't part of the, uh, the wave that's sort of emerged in, you know, 2015, 2016, um, where, where you had more sort of almost, I'd almost say traditional sort of software entrepreneurs as opposed to insurance entrepreneurs, Right, coming in, and you had non-insurance capital, right? You know, software VCs kind of thing, coming in to fund these non-insurance entrepreneurs. That's sort of the hallmark of InsureTech 1.0, and, that, and that's what sort of started. You, you could smell that happening in in late 2015 um, 
which is why I started to, to lean into investing in it and said, I need a, a, a conference to go to. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that we used to do when we started uh, the podcast was we would ask people, are you an insurance company or insurance services company, or are you a technology company? And almost without fail, the answer was, I'm a tech company, of course. I'm a tech company. Tech company. I'm a tech company. And I think part of what you're saying is, is that today, many would answer that question differently. Well, you know, look, I, um, I'm, I, I, first of all, I'm happy that I'm not letting Jay have a word in edgewise on this. This, this no is worries. a rare occasion for He's me. sleeping. It's yeah. okay. He's taking a nap. But, He's but been look, in the sun all day. I, I've actually thought about this a lot until I got to a, an answer that was satisfactory for my own taste, at least. Right. What makes a tech company a tech company? Right. Because especially in insurance, but also back in banking, and I did some banking work, like you'd have that, that debate. And hey, look, is, uh, is Google a tech company? Most of it, the vast majority of its revenue isn't from selling tech. The vast majority is from selling um, uh, advertising. So it's an ad company, right? It's, it's an advertising, it's a media company. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually one of the most popular media websites. Huge it's media a media company. company. But I think we'd say, well, yeah, true, but it's really a tech company. How is that? And my answer, and I, it applies independent of, of sector, is that you're a tech company if your default approach to solving a problem is to hire an engineer and solve it with software. If you've got a, hey, we have a new marketing challenge we need to solve. Do you go hire a marketing expert or a software engineer? If you... There's nothing wrong with being a traditional company that hires a software, a, a, excuse me, a, a marketing expert, but you're not a tech company. If your default approach is to hire the marketing person, you're not a tech company. If it's to hire the engineer, that's the hallmark of a tech company. You have a compliance issue, right? Go hire a software engineer to solve for the compliance issue. You have an operations issue, right? And so on and so forth. Now, by the way, that's the default answer. You start and see if the engineer can solve it. If they can, that, that's actually amazing because then the software is doing the work for you, which means it's rapidly scalable and very high gross margin in solving it. But if it doesn't work and not, sometimes you have a compliance issue, you throw an engineer at it, doesn't work, go hire a, a good compliance person fast. Right? You have a marketing problem, go hire a marketing person fast if the engineer can't solve it. But even then, it's not going to be nearly a scalable solution if you had to go hire the, an actual human expert for it. So for me, tech company, if you solve through the software as your default approach. So what's that say about 2.0? Apply that to 2.0. Oh, look, I think that 2.0, there, there's still, um, you can be a tech company as a, an InsureTech 2.0, right? In fact, I actually think you, you have to be. It's It's... The discipline, I, I think it's a different sort of mindset. And, and we, we, we talked about this earlier, like this sort of fundamental shift from uh, growth uh, at any cost, right? Revenue is revenue terrific to having the, the discipline um, that I'm going to solve these problems through software. So I'm tech, but I'm actually going to also be very focused on the unit economics of them, right? And and where does that constraint point me? Right? Maybe a, a smaller um, initial short-term aspiration so that I actually can still strive for this transformative impact in the long term. Jay, any thoughts here? I forgot the question, uh, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a comment on me, actually. <laughs> oh, he was waiting for that one. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, uh, I, I at least can summarize Caribou's statements, uh, you know, pretty well. Though we can never, we never know what the reckoning is going to be or when. But it was not, and you know, there's always a return to some sort of normalcy. There's always some sort of culling that, as Caribou mentioned, is healthy. And so I think the, you know, what was always our hope, right, is that the movement of mature tech has enough time to sort of whether it's one two I'm so glad we're not talking about Web three. That's a totally different story. All right, but there's at least a you think about does this movement add value? Should it exist, and is it enduring? And and that to me is what's important because that was established, 
And then, you know, the rest, like, yes, should companies have to learn how to figure out to make money at some point in time? Like, should companies evolve to be a little bit more of actually understanding the spaces that they're operating in, et cetera, et cetera? All yes. And so I think that this is normal, healthy, and, you know, it will produce, you know, the, like, it will just produce better companies and it is not stifling innovation. So I'm very happy that the, you know, checks are still going to be written. And I don't think it's a bad thing if checks are a little bit harder to get. I hate when Jay is more like crisp at saying something than me. It's it's so rare, but I hate yeah, when it happens. You know, I was gonna say it was so rare, but you did you did it for me. Oh yeah, you're 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 never known for uh, not being concise. No, um, no, no. But we're running up against time, and I really want to cover one other thing that's really important, and that is for like me as a attendee of ITC and a consumer of ITC, I don't think about it in terms of this is an event. I mean, it's a it's a conference, it's a convention. We used to call them in the old days, but that's your business, right? I mean, you, th- that's your business. Tell us about that business and what else you're up to there. It, it is, and it's one of those things where we oftentimes. I, the reason I hate that question sometimes is, you know, the best event you shouldn't ever think about it. it it's sort of like a high end luxury travel. You go there for your own needs. And the entire thing exists to help you get what you need and what you want and what you feel you deserve. And the moment that you start thinking about the business of something, you're almost taking away from the value that you're supposed to derive from it. You're right. Absolutely. There is a fascinating world of what's considered independent show organizers like ourselves that launch events and run events. But when we think about what is it we really want? You know, we want people to look at it like almost like a mirror and they look at this thing and they say, yes, this is me. But it's not one of those hotel mirrors that seems for some other reason to make you look a little bit heavier than you are or older than you are. Instead, it should be one that you look at and and you identify with and say, like, yes, yes, this is who I want. And so you're absolutely right that it is, you know, our business. We make money in two very simple ways. People buy tickets. People spend money to have their logo associated with it. And you know, and we have the other thing that we've never talked about. Caribou and I are associated with four other conferences as well. But you know, as much as and the joy for us is Caribou's words, catalyzing industries. People are our product. The magic that happens in person, the connections that get made—that's what drives us. But yet, every show should feel like it is the only show and the only one that people have to think about. Uh, and so that's why oftentimes, even though we are very proud of our portfolio of events, you know, if we're talking to people that are ITC, you know, community, that's all we care about them thinking about. And we're excited that they don't even think about it as anything, but it's theirs. It belongs to them as it should. So, so Jay's the real event entrepreneur here. As, as I think I've said, I'm uh, just the, the smart but lazy figurehead. You know, look, so I'll, I'll say some of the figurehead stuff so he doesn't have to. Like, it's actually really been interesting building a bunch of what I'd call insurance adjacent uh, events. Um, so they're not insurance events, but there's there is some crossover, some natural sort of uh, fit between them. So uh, we, we launched one years ago after ITC uh, was launched, um, focused on sort of impact of tech on the workplace, sort of transformation going on uh, with HR and things like that. Right. And obviously, you know, anyone who is selling commercial insurance, workers' comp, things like that, like that's interesting. Um, then we've also got one on uh, real estate tech. Right? Um, we've got another one on logistics tech. Right. Um, so you, you start to to build up this portfolio, and you start to see some patterns. And one of those patterns is the the value creation of bringing together that same, those same buckets of audience, right? The entrepreneurs, the investors, and the innovation executives from within the industry. And that's where the magic happens, whether it's insurance or uh, HR or real estate or logistics, like that's actually really interesting to see that happen over and over again. That is so innate. Well, we um, love you guys, love what you've done, love how generous you've been to um to this silly little podcast and you know it's we've had tons of people on the podcast hundreds and it's been thrilling and exciting but it's 
pretty rare that we have people on who have changed the way that it's consumed, changed how it operates, created a platform for it to live on, on top right. of. Right. And uh, it's so thank you. It's a privilege and an honor. And you guys have done, I speak for everybody. I we, We're on the service provider side of the business, but I speak for all the carriers too, I'm sure, when I say that... Uh, it's been, it's critically important. What you've done is critically important. And we thank you for that. That's yes. so kind. Yes. Way, way too kind. Thanks guys. Come back and see us next year and we'll, Thanks, uh, guys. we'll see you in Las right. Vegas. Great. We'll see you there. What a privilege to have those guys with us. Isn't it though? Isn't yeah. it though? I mean, every I time mean, I have been to ITC since 2017, I guess. They have really made InsureTech a name brand. And I love what they said yeah. about the platform. Yeah. Uh, it went from a conference to a platform. And now you go to ITC to do business and yeah. attend different meetings. And I mean, I mean, those guys really change our working world. For those of us in the insurance industry who go to insurance conferences, there's nothing like it. Because I, I'm an insurance guy, I consider it an insurance conference, right? Right. Like we just heard, might consider it a technology conference, but... It's unlike anything else. And so my hat is off to those two guys and what they've accomplished, what they've achieved, what they've invented. Mm -hmm. And forever, they'll be able to look back uh, with a tremendous amount of pride. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on, guys. And uh, we thank not only Caribou and Jay, but all of you for being with us. Thanks to Alicia, no comment, Moss, and Al. I'll be there really soon. Moya, and uh, most especially thanks for all you, to all of you for showing up, and we'll see you in Las Vegas. And until then, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>